What's up, everybody? Welcome. We're back. I'm super excited for this show. Welcome back to Common Sense, the podcast. And please give a warm welcome to our guest, Scott Phillips. What's up, my man? Not much, bro. How you doing? I'm good, man. Good, good, good. I'm really glad to finally get to meet you. Like we were talking about earlier, I feel like I've known you (laughs) half of my life. Because of all the Wiley people I know, and you yes. are like Mr. Wiley. You're the Wiley legend. <laughs> hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have grown up in Wiley. I, I feel blessed to have grown up there when I did particularly. I say it all the time, man, like I, it was the golden era of Wiley. You know? Yeah. And, uh, the 80s, man. The 80s were the golden era of everywhere. It's so. like you and Brian Bosworth, from what <laughs> I hear. Like, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that would come. <laughs> yeah, man. Now we had a great time, man. I, I was blessed. I, I Wiley was much much smaller back then, and uh, you know, man, I've just it was a great place and a great time to grow up. That's awesome, man. Well, you don't need a whole lot of introduction, but for any of you that tuned in and do not know who Scott Phillips is, we're gonna let him tell a little bit about his story. But he is a former Navy SEAL. He is a former college athlete. He's a minister of de- of sorts. Of the, sorts, yeah. With the yeah, motorcycle. Sure, he's sure. a big motorcycle club he's a big part of. Um, what am I forgetting? And then he's got his Invincible Academy where he teaches jujitsu to everybody right. uh, out in Wiley. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background and just kind of start us from the beginning a little bit here. All right, man. So, you know, th- hey, thanks for having me, number one. Absolutely, man. I'm, sorry, man. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, su- I'm super excited. I've been working yeah, on this man. for a while. It's been You're great. probably the most requested guest out of a year oh, of doing this. Awesome. Like, people just hit me up and they're like, you got to get Scott Phillips on. You yeah, got to get Scott yeah. Phillips on. I'm right like, on. all right, let's do it. That's cool. That's cool. Well, hey, thank you for requesting me because so it's, it's cool to be here. Uh, yeah. Man, so I moved to Wiley in. Uh, when I was uh, 10 years old. Moved there in fifth grade. Okay. Came from Wills Point. My family had been in Wills Point. And, uh, man, it was I was blessed. Like I say, it was a great time to move there. A little, well, we, a little bit of trivia, you know, like, uh, man, I don't know if you if you heard the whole uh, Wiley Axe murder, you know, like the whole oh, Eddie Gore's death in a small town. Like, the lady that was killed was supposed to be my fifth grade teacher. So... That summer, while we were moving to Wiley, that all happened, and uh, and so yeah, kind of a, a, an infamous time to to move there. But anyway, uh, we had family there, and you know, so we got there. And man, I grew up there, played ball, played football, basketball, did everything. The legendary man, Coach Schaefer, man, played under Coach Schaefer, yeah, and a bunch of other great coaches, man. I mean, Schaefer was. Obviously, he was the head coach, but again, that time frame, man, we had, you know, Coach Schaefer, Coach Ard, Coach Terry, Coach Wilbanks, my linebacker coach, Coach Spann, uh, uh, Coach Peters, Coach Mazan, Coach Gent, like we all these great dudes, uh, Coach Hall, um, I don't think I'm missing anybody, uh, coach, uh, coach Dorsey, man, Coach Dorsey, matter of fact, Coach Dorsey, Probably, whether he knew it or not, had some influence on me becoming, uh, uh, you know, a biker and, and in a motorcycle club. Uh, but uh, great coaching staff, you know, and so many of them were godly men that 
really influenced a lot of us, not just me, but a lot of guys. So, played football with some great guys. Man, we had great teams. And uh, yeah, I heard you could like single handedly destroy an offense pretty much. Man, I, I mean, at least that's the story yeah, I was I'll told. I'll go with it. I mean, I'm not going to fight you over it. I'm not going right, to argue right. with you, right? But, uh, but I love the game, man. And God blessed me with some ability and some drive and, and desire. And, and, I, and he blessed me, I'll tell you, he blessed me with an uncle who's the only reason really I played football. My uncle, my Uncle Donnie, started uh, when I was – he was a big-time Garland Owl, and he was a middle linebacker, number 60. And obviously he was older than me. I never got to watch him play, but I heard all the stories. And, and, and really when I started playing football in fifth grade, man, uh, literally he was the only reason – like I was a basketball player. I'd rather play basketball. My other uncle, Ray, was a big basketball player. We played together in – he lived with me for a while. Anyway, my uncle Donnie is the reason I started playing football, and uh, and so you know he's the one who made me mean, you know. So yeah. blame it on him. And he didn't do anything. He was great, but he just just always told me that I had to get mean. You know what I mean? And so that's when uh, I really started focusing on being just aggressive. And, and that's how I kind of made my bones, man, was two things. I was crazy. Well, uh, I mean, I was physically, you know, I was talented, but but I was, man, I was over-the-top aggressive. And I played middle linebacker, so that you're supposed to be. I was over-the-top aggressive, and I studied the game. You know what I mean? Like in a day and age where, you know, we had the old-school – uh, film, you know, you know, and you rewind it back and forth, back and forth. Man, I watched game film, and I could tell you, like I was a Jedi, man, I could tell you by how they came out in their stances. And anyway, I could, I knew what was going to happen before it was going to happen. Yeah. So if you combine that with a little bit, bit of ability and desire, man, I made, I made some tackles, you know. Yeah. So I was able to make some tackles. And, um, uh, uh, Played with great guys, man. Like some of my great, great. Played with addicts, John Addicts, uh, John Higman, Jason Brown, man. Like I, too many names to to, to list, yeah. but man, great friends, great players. So many guys, you know, that could have played Division One football. Like I'm telling you, I could go down a list of guys that could have played Division One football, and. For whatever reason, they just didn't either believe in themselves. Nobody else believed in them besides me, and and things just didn't just didn't materialize for me. Yeah, you know what I mean? uh, and that's that kind of that probably feeds into why I'm so passionate about some other things. But because uh, I saw friends that could have done well, that I mean they're all great. Like they're all doing great. Yeah. So anyway, I played ball, and then I had an opportunity to go play at SMU for a little while, and uh, then I lost my mind, thought I was tired of playing football. And again, that's another reason, that's another thing that, that feeds into why I'm so passionate about helping people be successful, you know what I mean, and kind of that process. Yeah. And when I thought I was tired of playing football, then I kind of looked around, I'm like, well, I'm a warrior, I know I'm a warrior, uh, 
where are the Warriors at? And so I started looking around at all the different branches of special operations. My dad had been a force recon Marine during Vietnam. He was a jun- old school jungle, you know, assassin. And, uh, and so I went, I started looking at each branch of the military. I went to the army to talk about Delta and SF and the Rangers. I went to the Marine Corps and talked to them about force recon and recon. And ultimately, man, I settled on the SEAL teams. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a godsend. It was a blessing. And, man, I made it through and got to go into the SEAL teams, you know. And so then after that, man, I started having kids. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be around. You know, this is mid-'90s. The wars weren't going on yet. And so there, other than just me having fun, you know, yeah. which being a SEAL was, is, man, I, I used to say the best job in the world for a young single guy. I would say now it's the best job in the world for a for a old married guy because, dude, I'd be back there like that if they had. <laughs> uh, but, but the wars weren't going on, so, you know, and I had I had a three-year-old when it came time to my end of my enlistment. I had a three-year-old. I had a brand-new baby coming on, on the way, and so – I got out, man, so I could be a dad, and uh, you know, then kind of launched my civilian careers, and ended up being, you know, a children's pastor for a while, uh, and an ex- uh, a connections pastor, and then now I'm an executive pastor at a small church that also, you know, doubles as a jujitsu academy, and I teach jujitsu. I have Invincible Academy Jujitsu. <laughs> I teach jujitsu every day, and so that's that's my primary. That's my job, man. That's your my, passion. That's my career. That's my. It's one of my passions, but it's my profession. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, man. So that's that's it. awesome, man. Well, thank you for sharing all that with us. And you know, there's uh, the common thing I see in this is you seem like the person that's always walked your own path. What when I say that. What does that mean to you, and what would you want others to learn from that? On like how you chose to walk your own path. So uh, that can be good and bad. That can be good and bad, right? And here's what I'll say: You're right. I've always done. Like I have rarely asked anybody what they thought I should do. You know what I mean? Like I, I even when I should have, and. So I'll give you an example. When I when I decided I thought I was tired of playing football. I was tired of playing. I was tired of playing football. More importantly, I was tired of going to school. Right? Like really, yeah. that's that was the big deal. I was never a disciplined student. Never, man. Like the two best days of the year were the day we got out for summer. You know, and the day we got out for Christmas. The two worst days of the year for me were, and I would change all this if I could go back, but the two worst days were when we went back to school and we went back after Christmas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was never a, a, a school guy. And I kudos to teachers. I think teachers do it much better now because the kids, apparently, they love school a whole lot more than we did back in the day. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we had great teachers, don't get me wrong. But, anyway, when I thought I was tired of playing football, 
and again, I was, you know, 19, 20 years old. And, you know, you really don't know anything, man, when you're, when you're not. You don't, the older you get, the more you realize how little you knew right when you were young. And you thought you knew it and, all. But you thought you knew everything, you know. And uh, so I literally, man, I just made decisions. My dad, when I, when I decided to leave SMU, I didn't ask anybody. I didn't tell anybody. And this is not a good thing. This is a regret that I have. But I didn't ask anybody. Okay. I didn't tell anybody. I walked in. I talked to my – and I was starting, man. I was a defensive captain. I was the, the you know, I mean, I, I was one of the prominent players, right? And, uh, and I was going to start every game, barring injury, for four years. Right? Crazy. Uh, that's what my coach said. So I walked in. I talked to the, the defensive coordinator, my line, who was a linebacker coach, and I said, hey, man, I, you know, anyway, I told him. And uh, and he told me, he was like, Scott, he goes, you're going to start every – and this guy had played – his name's Dale Lindsey. Shout out to Dale. He played 10 years with the Cleveland Browns with Jim Brown, who's one of the greatest football players of all time. He coached in the NFL – from the time he played, I think he coached high school for a few years. Then he coached with Forrest Gregg all the way up through, man, the mid-90s. Matter of fact, he literally just retired from coaching college in, in, in his 80s. Uh, coached the great linebacker. Coached Junior Seau, who's one of the best linebackers of all time. Coached on the field against some of the greatest NFL players. I mean, think about it, from the 60s through the mid-90s, man. Like yeah. That encompasses some of the greatest players in the history of the game. Absolutely. And he told me, he was like, Scott, he goes, you're going to start, barring injury, every game for the next four years. You could have every tackling record in SMU history. You know, um, we talked about it. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave your jersey, all your, uni your uniform. We were opening against uh, the University of Texas. Think about this, man. That's how stupid I was. We're going <laughs> to open against the University of Texas, man. I'm going to be prime. I'm in the middle of the day. I'm going to be playing against the University of Texas. And he said, I'm going to leave your uniform in your locker. And this was about two weeks before we opened. He said, you show up game day, man. Put your uniform on. You're back in. Like, it's your position. And uh, and I was just thinking about it earlier. I'm like, man, how cool would that? I should have done it. Like, I should have just... How cool well, How cool would that story be? I just show back up that day, but I'm like, hey, man, if you guys will have me, I'll be, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't. I, I, thought I, was, I thought I was done. I thought I was tired of it. And I didn't ask anybody their opinion. My dad, which my mom and dad were divorced, so he and I, I loved him. We had a great relationship, but we didn't have that kind of relationship. My dad literally found out about me leaving SMU by reading about it in the Dallas Morning News sports section. Oh, Now, think man. about that, right? Like, I'd already gone, transferred to another school just to hang out with a buddy of mine. And he calls me, and he's like, son, I, I see you left SMU. I'm like, how'd you know? He's like, man, is they got a story about it on the, on the in the Dallas Morning News. That, that For young folks, that was a newspaper they used to. Like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's, a, that's a, a decision I regret, you know. Um, but... It was something, and and honestly, that was probably the last. That was that was the last decision that I made 
Because I doubt I even prayed about it. I know I didn't. I know I didn't pray about it. You know what I mean? I was yeah. just like, I was a young dude. Done. This is what I'm making. I'm just making this decision. That was the last time that, uh, and a man, and I learned a lot of valuable lessons about it that carried over to the rest of my life. But that was the last time that I didn't pray about any major decisions before I, before I made them. And, uh, but yeah, I didn't ask, I didn't ask anybody anything. And so after that, I did, I have walked my own path. I have done pretty much what I've felt like God has called me to do. You know, I've never really tried to make money. You know what I mean? Money's never been a huge, although it's a little bit more now, a little bit more of a motivator now, but it was never back then. I used to tell people like, I just do what I want to do, man. Whatever it was. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a bigger, it was always something bigger than me. And, uh, and I went and did it. And so, and then, you know, later on, so it was the SEAL teams. And then when I got out, you know, uh, God called me into ministry, went into children's ministry. And that was totally like a, 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 a 180 from what I thought nobody would have ever thought I was going to be a children's pastor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was Navy SEAL yeah, to, like, to children's pastor. Yeah, like, like I may be the only one on earth ever that's ever done that, you know. Uh, but that was his plan, man. And I, I he kind of, when I started feeling called to ministry, I thought it would be coaching. And he got right in the middle of that and made some other opportunities. And so I ended up being a children's pastor for about eight years, I think. And, uh and that was a huge blessing, man. Like that was, was some of the best times of my life, you know. And it and it led into other areas of ministry, and uh, so yeah, it's. And I never kind of speaking to the walk in your own path deal. One thing I can say to that is that I've never anything that I've ever done, and this can be you know because like I said, man, I should have gotten some counsel. I should have gotten some wise counsel. When I was leave, when I thought I was quitting, when I thought I was tired of playing football, I should have asked my uncle, Don, that I've said, hey, what do you think about this? I should have asked my mom, hey, what do you think about this? And then I should have listened to what they said. And and but I didn't. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, but I but other than like I've never thought to myself, well, man, I'd like to do this, but I'm nervous about what people will think about it. Like I've never given a, given a crap about what people have thought about my convictions. Yeah. And uh, so and and overall, man, like God has blessed and redeemed every bad decision I've made, pretty much, and He's blessed me, man, more than I deserve for sure. So that's awesome, man. How did you? Where did you sort out kind of finding your purpose and passion in all of this? Like in combining those to like be, cause you're, you're very passionate about select things. I, I yeah. feel like like you're, you're involved in a lot of things, yeah. but I feel like they're very calculated decisions. They're very, they're very focused. Like, yeah, you do a lot of things, but yet you're still able to tie your purpose and your passions together. And I think that's part of what makes you very successful at all the things you do. Was that something you feel was instilled in you? God given was this things you learned in the seal teams that 
helped you refine and focus these mentalities and stuff? I think uh, that's a good question, man. I think that probably a little bit of all of that. I think I th- I'll tell you this. He intertwined it all. I don't I don't think I could have orchestrated it as well. You know what I mean? Like I, the right. way it's all worked out, I don't. I just don't think I could have sat back and said, "There are some things that I've said, man. I'm going to do this," and I went and did it. Know what I mean? And there's some other things that said this. I'm going to do it. You know, a lot of stuff. But a lot of it are are interests and things that he just put in me. You know, he put it. He put. Uh, you know, he he put a lot of desires in me that are pretty diverse. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, which I'm I'm appreciative of. And then, you know, I I had. I had the, the the blessing, man, of having incredible parents who loved me, and uh, even though they were split, you know, like, man, they were my biggest fans, and so so they invested in me. And uh, my mom, you know, my, the greatest gift that she ever gave me, besides having me in church when I didn't want to be, was, man, she always made me believe I could do anything I wanted to do. I mean, like, she made me believe that I could accomplish anything on earth that I could accomplish, that I wanted. And I had friends whose parents didn't do that, man. Yeah. You know, probably most parents don't don't really, either they don't, they don't, anyway. It's kind of, they let their own shortcomings yeah, not get past that. Yeah, they, 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 I think probably, I know this for a fact, most people have an unrealistic understanding of what is realistic and possible. And it's not on the top end. In other words, they don't think great things are realistic and possible. They think too often accomplishing great things are unrealistic and not possible. That's what most people think. And my mom was just the opposite. I could do it. She made me believe, man, nothing was unrealistic and nothing was impossible. And that's, I think, truer for people than the than the opposite is. And they just don't know how to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, long way around to answer your question, man. I think God just kind of aligned all these things. And, you know, a lot of the f- core principles and, 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 and fundamentals, so to speak, that I learned in all the, in football, man, in sports, in, uh, through the Bible, in the SEAL teams, through jujitsu, all of those things, they all line up and, you know, they're all, they, they're congruent. In other words, they all line up to get to the point where you, man, you know, you can, you can do it all. Yeah. Um, and not, you know, and I, and, and my faith <clears throat> is the foundation. So that has kept me from, from incongruence, right. From being, you know, like, uh, uh, I mean, I'm a Christian, but I'm also an outlaw biker. Well, people say, how can that happen? Well, it can happen if you, if you have the right foundation. And when I say outlaw biker, I mean, I don't mean criminal. 
a whole different conversation. But um, anyway, it's a God thing. Gotcha. So real quick, for any of you guys that are having, I'm seeing that there's a lot of parent problems with Facebook tonight. So if you're still listening to us on this, jump over to YouTube. YouTube's not having any problems. I'll even watch YouTube a little closer in case you guys are on here asking questions. The link's in all of the post notes there. So if you guys want to jump on there, um, that's that's another place you guys can watch this because I know some of you are getting the short end of it on Facebook tonight for whatever reason. So just wanted to give you that real quick. So were there any, like, as I told you when you and I were talking about this, Scott, I didn't want this to, like, turn into, like, a big conversation about buds and stuff like that. Because I'm sure you've done thousands of interviews on what it was like to go through buds and everything like that. Well, I do think that's important, though. Were there any, like, turning points or big roadblocks early on in your life that you thought that was a stopping point? Or that, you know, aside from the football thing, that, like, this is a roadblock. I don't know how I'm going to get past this. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this next day of hell week. You know, what, something along those natures, maybe more in your personal life than, than Bud's. But if you want to go to Bud's for a story, that's fine, too. Don't want to say don't do that but you know was there a roadblock or something like that that accomplishing that and getting past what you thought even though you're a very i can do anything type guy was there a lesson you learned at some point that was very critical to shaping that further for you man i'll tell you probably the biggest so and again man and i and i don't say this flippantly or arrogantly but like and, you know, and, and I mean, the dudes that you know that know me, like, they'll <laughs> they'll echo this. But, like, there's never been anything that I've been like, man, like, that's, that's a roadblock. Or, yeah. that, or that's a showstopper. Now, there have been a lot of, there have been a lot of uh, miserable, horrible moments where you got to make a decision do I quit or do I uh, keep driving on? Do I keep persevering? And uh, and there have been a lot of, you know, and, and obviously, you know, in the SEAL teams and, and even, I mean, after BUDS. BUDS is hard. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it is a, it's a gut check. I mean, it's a, it's a can you hack it situation. But once you get through BUDS, the, the SEAL teams are harder. Just the stuff that we would do on a day-to-day basis from a, a performance standpoint, from a, a misery standpoint, or is harder, right? Like when you're going through BUDS, they tell you, the instructors, I mean, you're as cold as you've ever been. Ridiculously, it's so stupid. Yeah. I and mean, it, it's like, and the instructors will tell you, hey, you're going to be colder when you get to the SEAL teams. So like you're sitting there and you're just shaking. You can't stop shaking. You're uncontrollably cold and miserable and you're hurting and it's painful and the instructors are like bro you suck it up man like when you get to the teams you're gonna be colder than this and you don't think it's possible yeah until you get to the teams and you're colder and you're like (laughs) i'm closer to quitting right now than i was in buds you know what i mean like so um but i'll tell you one moment that was probably a watershed moment for me uh and 
it's a funny and it's a buds it's a buds deal. So there's a thing in buds where they they call it a hygiene inspection, right? Because you're this was actually during Hell Week. Um, they have you and you're you know Hell Week is like five and a half days. We got I got about a, an hour and a half sleep for five and a half days, and the whole time you're. They're torturing you. It's miserable. You can look up. You can look it up. Yeah, you know, miserable. And so, uh, but there's this one part where they've got you. So they have these showers over here, and this is right on the beach. And they have these showers that are spraying cold water, and you have to go over there, get sprayed down, and the medics, the corpsmen, check you. The instructors that are corpsmen check you for. Cuts and abrasions and broken bones and all this kind of stuff. Because guys will, I mean, they won't tell anybody. They want to make it through, you know. Yeah. And so these guys, so they're checking your hygiene to make sure you're you're good to go. Well, while you're not over there getting that done and kind of you're in this holding pattern, you're over here on this concrete slab in nothing but these little like spandex. They called them tri shorts back in the days before Under Armour and all that. But it was basically yeah. Under Armour, a little just like little underwear. And the instructors are walking, and you're just shaking. I mean, you're just, because the wind is blowing in off the ocean. You know, it's 60 degrees out, 50 degrees outside. You're soaking wet. You've been like that for, this was like Wednesday night, I think. And uh, and they're hosing you down with these cold water hoses, you know, cold water. They're just hosing you down to the point where, like, my, you're laying on your back, and my hip flexors had, had cramped up so much that they were picking my feet up about six inches off the ground, six inches off the ground. So I couldn't even put my feet down. Like my, my hip flexors had just contracted. It felt like somebody stabbing each one of my hips with a butcher knife. That's what it felt like. And the instructors were walking around. They're going like, hey, all we need is one quitter. If, you, if we get one quitter, we'll stop this. We'll secure the evolution. You know what I mean? You, one quitter. And I'm like, hey, dude, quit. You know, like, get out of here. You know, like, because um, I'm thinking, hey, if I can talk them into quitting, they're going to quit. Yeah. Anyway, you know. And uh, somebody would quit down the line. Nobody that I ever tried to get to quit quit, by the way. But, <laughs> but uh, somebody would quit, and then the instructors, they wouldn't secure it. You know, they're just lying to yeah. me. But I remember seeing a guy get up and quit, and uh, – and I'm laying, I'm miserable, man. Like my hip flexors, like I said, man, it feel, literally feels like somebody stabbing my, my hip. And I had tight hip flexors from all the squats and yeah. being, you know, I didn't train for buds. Like I wasn't a, yeah. I wasn't a long distance anything, man. I was a run through that wall and tear stuff up guy, right? So yeah. anyway, but I remember laying there thinking, well, I saw that guy get up and quit. I remember thinking if my mom was here, she wouldn't quit. And, and that was kind of a watershed. I'm like, man, I don't care what they do to me. Like, I'm not quitting, you know. And I never – people ask all the time, and you'll hear other team guys say, hey, if somebody tells you that they never thought about quitting, they're lying. And, man, I just disagree with that because I never – that's the extent of me thinking about quitting. And it was thinking, I ain't quitting. You yeah. Know what I mean? Um, so – which that has played into so much of the rest of my life, man, because not quitting is a big deal. Like, that's, that's probably the biggest deal is just not quitting, you know. 
And that's, of all the stuff, and there's a whole bunch of things, man, that I brought out of the SEAL teams that helped me be successful in things. Probably the number one, if I could, if I could pass on any attribute to somebody, it would be simply don't be a quitter. You know, so. I think this is a good time for this, too. I'm going to bring this out. So, you and I talked about this a little bit earlier. Anybody that served, I asked them to sign this. If you want a drink, I got you a glass there. But this is a bottle that me and some of the bourbon guys did. It's part of the 22 Kill. Yeah. Those of you guys have seen this. This was a Jack Daniels Single Bear Select. Um, would love to share it with you. I only share it with people that served. And then uh, have yeah, you man. sign the box and stuff Absolutely. later on. But if you would like a pour of that, feel yeah, free to help yeah, yourself. Sure, sure. Hey, I'm not going to have too much. I'm not a Yeah, you just have, as long as you have a sip, I, we're I, good. You know, man, I'm a... Qualifying round here. I'll, I'll leave. I'll just... Yeah, I'm not going to... We'll go qualifying round. That's enough. That's enough. For you me. don't have to treat it like it's John Attic's crown bottle. You know, we won't, we won't go back that You day. know that sorry dog shot me in the eyeball with a Roman candle one time? That doesn't... No. He remembers it, too. I'll bet he does. I can't wait to hear about Idiot. it, because I'm sure I'm going to hear all Idiot. about it after this. Yeah. And he lived to tell the story. He did. But he doesn't tell he the did. story, so I, that I, might say something. A little less known fact is I was voted most friendly in high school. So, okay. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I had some accolades, but one of them is most friendly, so don't ever get There you go. Time. Yeah, man. So we're going to toast this or what? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you uh, mean sign it already or? Uh, you can do it. We'll do it after the show. Okay. We won't worry about that right now, but I'll have one with you, too. Yeah, man. I don't always pour from this one, so why not? We'll have hey, a Hey, 22 one. kill, for y'all that don't know, there's a, there's, a, there's a bad situation, man, where they say 22, and I think now it's more, 22 it's vets. It's higher. Yeah, they, they, they kill themselves on a daily basis. 22 vets kill themselves on a daily basis. And, man, I hate it. I've, I've lost... Good friends that were vets. Um, matter of fact, man, my my platoon leader from Buds, a dude named Joe Price, uh, one of my great great friends, went on. Man, I could tell you. Sto- oh my gosh, you talk about great funny stories. Uh, and the guys that were in my Buds class, they we had. It was a the, the instructors hated him. He was such a good dude, but they hated him, which meant they hammered us. Mm-hmm. All through uh, third phase specifically, and uh, anyway, uh, too many people take their own. Too many people, man. Absolutely, right on. Cheers, brother. Yeah, man. Damn it, he's the second one. All these Navy Seals, man, when they do drink liquor, they don't hesitate, man. They throw that shit down the hatch. That's it. I'm done. Woo. I'm done. Oh man. All right, now I'm definitely ready to go. <laughs> Woo. So, I know you and I talked about this a little bit when we were preparing for the show here. And I know writing a book is something you've mentioned to me. I'm sure you probably mentioned to others, but it, it's something you have in your plans. It's something down the road where you want to share more. Um. You and I talked about a process you have and something that you really think helps you, and I think it's something you teach through your academy as well, about goal setting and accomplishing your goal. And the difference in that 
of not just winning, but but accomplishing your goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and there, and man, there's a giant process and all that. But here, here's the thing, and you, you know, people don't read enough. Number one, people don't read enough. They don't read. There, there are self help books get a bad rap, but there are books out there that <clears throat> outline a process of how to be successful in life, you know? And, uh, and man, there may be somebody out there who, and, and, and I'll say this, I'm, I'm going to be very uh, uh, governed by what all I say because, you know, people rip people off all the time. But it doesn't, oh, matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, knowing something and doing it are two different things, right? But, Absolutely. But the thing that I feel like, I believe... Uh, that I maybe a little bit different is just the simplicity. I think I can convey this in as, in as simple a terms as possible, right? And talk about goals or, or just accomplishing goals, right? Um, accomplishing goals is pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's pretty simple. I don't care what goal it is. Um. Uh, and it, there's about four steps, right? Number one, you got to have the goal. You got to clearly identify the goal. And you can say, and, I, and I'm going to just kind of go through this. And then, and so here's the thing. If you're out there, man, take some notes. Because I'm telling you, if you do this, you will be wildly successful. And you'll accomplish stuff that you want to accomplish. Number one, you got to clearly identify the goal, right? That's not rocket science. Figure out what it is. I want to be a Navy SEAL. I want to be a professional football player. I want to bench press 500 pounds. I want to uh, get my master's degree. I want to fill in the blank. Yeah. Identify the goal. Write it down. Number two. I think writing it down is key, too. Writing it down. So so each one of these, I'm going to tell you kind of the big, the big picture. And then each one behind it, there's a whole strategy, tactics, techniques, and procedures that, that kind of help each one, right? But Absolutely. identify the goal. Number two, you got to figure out what you have to do to accomplish the goal, right? The steps, action steps, so to speak. You got to identify that. And here's the thing you can figure that out, man. It's 2023. You can figure out, I could tell you, uh, you, or you could give me any goal you have. Mm -hmm. And man, with this thing right here, I could tell you pretty much what you have to do to accomplish that goal. Yeah. Like, it, it's not rocket science. I mean, the information's out there. There are a lot of things I can tell you what you need to do to accomplish with the goals you have. There are a lot of things, man, a lot of areas. I can just, I can tell, without looking at anything, I'm going to say, do this, do this, do this, do this. So that's number two. Figure out what you have to do to accomplish the goal. Number three, you have to exercise self-discipline to make yourself do the things that are required to accomplish the goal. Very simple. You have the goal. You have the things that you have to do to get to the goal. And then you have to make yourself do those things. Nobody else is going to make you, especially grown-ups. Nobody's going to make you. So you have the goal, the things required to get to the goal, to accomplish the goal, and you have to make yourself 
do those things. And then the fourth thing, man, is very simple. You just don't quit. That's awesome. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Now, if you find a book out there that tells you in that manner, I want to hear about. It. I want to know, right? Because I want to read the book. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, it, but but that is as simple. And listen, talent's nowhere in there. No, talent is nowhere in there. Now, you can under the goal under each one of those, right? You can there there are strategies that help you determine what is a realistic goal. But I can, like I said earlier, man. A realistic goal should be much higher. You tell me, what's realistic? Bro, Think we've all seen things that have been accomplished by people who should not have been able to accomplish it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that means the thing that was theoretically an unrealistic goal for them was really realistic. Realistic. And they refused to believe that it was unrealistic. And that's where I get back to my mom, bro. There was nothing unrealistic. I, I could have accomplished. I could be sitting here today, and I could have been an astronaut. I could have been a pro football player. I could have done anything that I decided to accomplish. If I followed that formula 100% that I could have accomplished. And people go, well, people are, uh, you know, they're pessimists. They're like, oh, well, you couldn't have done this and you couldn't have done that. I had a, I had a I'll, get, I'll tell you a real fast short story, man. I had a friend, a good friend of mine, who absolutely could have played probably Division three football. Because, you know, while talent is not mentioned in that uh, formula, yeah, talent plays a factor. Yeah, you know? especially when you're talking about yeah. certain yeah, key sure, things. Yeah, sure, sure. But but that kid, he wanted to play college ball. His his goal was to play college ball. Hundred percent realistic. Hundred percent realistic. Division one, maybe not. Maybe. Maybe you don't know. Maybe. But I sat in his living room with his parents and I was trying to talk. I had man, I had magazines out. I had I had NFL magazines. I'm like, look, bro, like you you could go here and play, you could go here and play, and this guy's playing in the NFL from that college. Yeah. Like you could you could go to this this school. And I'm sitting there with his parents. I'm a senior. We're both seniors. We're sitting there and and I'm like I'm trying to talk him into trying to go and walk on at some school cuz he didn't have a scholarship offer. Because I knew he could play at Div uh, Division 3, no problem. Well, let me tell you something. You know what playing Division 3 college football makes you? A college football player. Absolutely. For the rest of your life. You know what I mean? And I told him, I said, bro, you can go do this. Well, his parents are sitting right there, and they're like, Scott, he's not like you. He can't go and play. And, I, man, I flipped. I'm like, that's bull crap. I'm like, that's because you're telling him he can't go play. Yeah. There aren't college coaches telling him he can't come play. You're telling him he can't come play. You're the one setting the ceiling on his opportunity to reach his goals. And his potential. Right. But he, you know, he listens to his parents. Yeah. And so he just goes to work or whatever, you know. And so, anyway, that's a long way around. Most goals that people have for themselves really are realistic for them. Like most people, you know, they don't go, man, 
you know, they, most people just, if they have a dream or a goal, it's really not unrealistic for them, even if it's high. Yeah. It's still, it's still reachable. You know, and that ties into what's funny is every person that's signed this box so far or the bottle, the common denominators are these two things. They write, never quit, take the shot. Yeah. I I mean, and that's multiple branches. This is not singled out to just seals. Right. There's marine recon on here. There's seals. There's, you know. It, I mean, it's not, better, but yeah. it, you know, it's a common denominator. Just like they say with, uh, you know, there's a lot of studies coming out about the guys that make it through to special operations and like what was their childhood like, what's their background, all these things. And the number one thing that comes out is the never quit mentality. Yeah. That these guys would rather die then quit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, in the most simplistic of terms, too. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't have to be, like, physically go die. Right. But, like, they they would rather, I mean, like, that isn't even an option that registers with them. Like, yeah. they're like, I'm going to do this. I don't care how miserable it gets. Yeah. No matter what you throw at me, I might not succeed right away, but I'm not going to quit. Right, right. And I, th- I, I think that's... I think that's where a lot of the fascination, you know, aside from all the action and the badassery oh, yeah, man. Yeah, that like, comes through. Yeah, it. I, but I think yeah. that's why it relates to so many people and why, you know, people that never were on the special forces, maybe not even in the military, they're absolutely fascinated with it because they can see those qualities, that mentality, and they want to figure out a way to apply that in their lives. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think that's dead on. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the, you know, in, I think this is probably common across the board now in the other branches, the other special operations communities, right? Uh, Army Special Forces, Delta, the Marine Raiders, um, the Air Force PJs, rain. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different Airborne, special Airborne. whatever. Yeah, you know. Um, now, it's better if you're a good athlete. It's. I mean, obviously, they want good athletes. When I went through SEAL training, you had to be a good athlete. You, you couldn't be, like, you didn't have to be a, a super athlete, but you had to be a pretty good athlete because they had performance standards. Yeah, you know that's not like regular Navy boot camp where it's like no, run a yeah, mile yeah, in under yeah, fifteen yeah. minutes and but you know make sure that the guy that weighs four hundred pounds can you right, know, finish with you guys right. But back in the day, man, like back in in the old UDT days and the early SEAL team days, they didn't have uh, time standards and stuff on things. It was just you didn't quit, you sucked it up, they punished you, and you you made it through, right? Yeah. Well, it's like everything else with competition with more people wanting to be something they got to figure out how to weed people out so they kept raising the bar time standards ability all this kind so you had to end up so when when i went through you know you had to be a pretty good athlete to get through you didn't have to be you know a d1 athlete but you had to be an athlete you couldn't just be just a normal guy you know what i mean you had to be a pretty good athlete which, I mean, we all went to school, like, with dudes who were pretty good athletes. Right. They, I mean, they may not have been an all-state this or that, but they were still good athletes. Right? Yeah. That's, the, that's what you have to be. But the common denominator 
is dudes who, one, don't quit, and two, are mission-oriented. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, accomplish the mission no matter what. And, man, I think there's so much takeaway from that that you can apply to the civilian. Well, I know for a fact, man. Like, I apply that to uh, my jiu-jitsu academy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the guys doing jiu-jitsu, I'm like, all you got to do is not quit. You don't, you don't, if you want to be a black belt in jujitsu, which is a superpower, by the way, all you got to do is just keep walking through the doors. We, we tell kids every day, we tell adults every day, the secret to jujitsu is walking through the doors. You don't have to be good today, tomorrow, whatever. All you got to do is keep showing up. All you got to do is not quit. And uh, that's, you know, on those four things, right? The goal, the, the action steps. The self-discipline, the not quitting. Most people think that the self-discipline is where most people fail. That's not where most people fail, man. Where most people fail is they just quit too early. That's where most people fail in accomplishing their dreams, their goals. They just quit too early. They quit when they don't achieve success According to their timeline, they quit when it's not fun anymore. That's a big one, man. Like, that's a big I mean, one. That's you in college. Right. Exactly. It's exactly right. They quit when it's not fun anymore. They quit when they are not achieving accolades, you know, when nobody's giving them accolades. Yeah. They quit when they get bored. Oh, my gosh. That's a big deal. I could tell you. I could talk about that. Like Boredom. <laughs> you could even... You could be winning. So, so by one of the things I would love to do is is, is uh, be on the Cowboys staff because we'd win Super Bowl after Super Bowl. So Super Bowl. I like after this. Super Bowl. I like where this is going. But here's the thing: we could win ten Super Bowls in a row if they, if the Cowboys put me on staff. We'd win. We would win ten Super Bowls in a row. The only reason we'd stop winning Super Bowls if they got bored with the process, because humans too often. Get bored. They're, they get bored instead of trusting processes that give them success. Yeah. And we've done the same thing every Yeah, yeah. And we've won championships every year. Yeah. I'm tired of doing that. Well, are you tired of winning? You know what I mean? And, and you know, Mike Tyson, they, somebody asked him. They are like, man, what's it like being a champion? This was when he was young, you know. And he was like, man, the boredom. And they're like, what are you talking about, the boredom? And, and this is kind of bleeding over into some of the other stuff that I don't want to give away too much. But uh, he said, he was like, man, he goes, being a champion is bored, bored, boring. And they're like, why? And they're like, because you got to wake up every day and do the same thing over and over and over and over. He's like, you got to wake up at 4 o'clock every morning and get your road work in. Then you got to go to the gym and you got to do that. And, and people don't want to do that. But that's what it takes to be a champion. You know what I mean? And so... When people so so people quit when it gets boring. They quit when it's not fun. They quit when it's hard. They quit when they're not motivated. They quit when, uh, you know, they feel like they're not achieving things according to their timeline. So most people are quitters. So where in your life have you been challenged to maintain motivation? To maintain when you thought I I don't really have this in me anymore. Like or I. Man, I'm really tired of this. Uh, you know, I know this. 
And Scott, you know, I'm your mentor and I'm telling you, hey, I just laid this plan out for you. As long as you keep doing it, you're going to do it. But when, when you have those, like, you know, I feel like a lot of that's cyclical for me. Like, okay, you know, like yeah, even seasonal, yeah, yeah. you know, in the fall and the spring, man, I'm highly motivated. Like, I'm, right, you know, the right. brain's flowing, you know, like I, I've got all these great ideas. I'm super passionate. And then you get to the winter days, the summer days, the dog yeah. days, you know. Yeah. What, where, where do you pull a lot of that inner from when, when it is tough, like yeah. to not give in, to not quit, to push that extra, when, when everything's stacked up and says, oh man, I should just quit, or man, you know, maybe this isn't going to work out. Like, where do you pull that from? So you just do it anyway. Just do it anyway. Self-discipline. You know, and here's the thing, and don't get it twisted, man. There are things like... That there, there are times in my life that I've been incredibly self-disciplined about certain things. And, and this is one thing I want people to, to take some encouragement from. Nobody out there has any more discipline than anybody else. Nobody you know is any more disciplined than anybody else. What they do is they exercise. They choose to exercise discipline in certain areas where you don't or where... Uh, you know, maybe you've kind of given up on. And so I'll give you an example, man. There are probably areas in your life that you don't exercise very good discipline. Absolutely. I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. But there are other areas, this podcast, where you choose to exercise incredible discipline. You're on time here. You research. You do the thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. You choose to exercise self-discipline when it comes to this podcast. In other areas, you choose not to exercise self-discipline. And that's the story of everybody's life, man. I, I made myself included. Yeah. You know, myself absolutely. Included. And so when you recognize that all I've got to do is whatever my goal is, I have to choose to exercise self-discipline to do the things that are required to get to that goal. I can be lazy over here. I don't have to exercise. Now, I'm not recommending that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you don't have to. That, that's everybody, man. Like, there are things in my life where uh, I don't exercise. I haven't exercised as much self-discipline in certain areas as I have in other. And, I, and I'll give you an example. When I was in, when I was in, uh, man, I haven't, I haven't worked out. I haven't lifted weights consistently in probably 20, 25 years. Okay. That's a flaw. I need to. I need to. I'm. 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 Uh, I'm banking on the first thirty years of my life, or whatever the the frame time frame in there when I was right twelve years old to probably probably thirty five. Twelve to thirty five. Okay, twenty two years, bro. Nobody on earth was more disciplined when it came to lifting weights. And when it came to doing the things, sprints, whatever. Like, I went from crazy, you know, in high school I was fast. I was probably a 4'6 guy in high school. A year and a half, I was a 4'5 guy. If I hadn't quit, I would have ended up being a 4'4 guy. 40-yard dash, right? Because, mm -hmm. of, because of doing the things that, that the speed coaches told me to do. Yeah. Right? Strength-wise, I was crazy disciplined on being in the weight room. I told my mom one time, <laughs> she, she, you know, I, I had another great mentor of mine, a guy named James Wright. 
he, him and a guy named Jimmy Hughes started a gym in Wiley when I was an eighth grader. God bless Coach Schaefer. But they didn't know anything about lifting weights to get strong. Now, I take that back. He might have known, but it's not what we did. Right. Because we played both sides. We, we, he wanted us to be strong and fit, right? So I met these guys, Jimmy Hughes and James Wright, and they opened a gym in Wiley. And Jimmy had the bench press record all the whole time I was growing up, right? 400 pounds, high school. And, uh, man, they opened a gym in Wiley, and I was incredibly disciplined, me and Hickman and uh, some other guys, probably just me and John, man. We were the two dudes that lived. Uh, and so, bro, we would slack off during the off-season workout and then go to JJ's powerhouse and freaking hit it four nights a week, two hours a night, un uncompromised. Like we didn't miss. Yeah, you guys weren't the guys at the parties. No, no, we were. We were now. Stuff. I mean, we were at the parties too on the weekends, but but I didn't. I didn't. Do anything, you know, we were. You know, I fought a little bit, but uh, anyway. Um, but but here's the thing: I exercised incredible self discipline on that because that. I knew would contribute to my goal, which was playing college and pro football. Yeah. Right? But you know where I exercised zero self-discipline? In school. Zero. I graduated high school because, uh, you know, I was just, I just happened to be smart. I could get some, some, I mean, literally, I'm not advocating this, literally I had other people do some of my homework sometimes. But if I could go back if I knew what I knew now, I would go back, and, I, man, I would kill it in school. I would use as much self-discipline because I understand how much knowledge is power. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, but, uh, but, I, but anyway, my point is I exercised incredible self-discipline in the weight room and everything that I believed would get me to my goal except for I didn't understand that academics was part of that formula. And for the people out there, man, like that's where you're at. You exercise, if you will just choose, you have a goal, you know what you have to do to get to that goal. If you will just choose to exercise self-discipline and make yourself, see the problem with adults and accomplishing our goals is there's nobody can make us do anything. Nobody can make me get up early in the morning and do what I'm supposed to do to accomplish my goals. But if you will choose to exercise self-discipline and make yourself do those things, and then just not quit, it may be, it may not be on your timeline. You may be 80 years old, but you'll accomplish it. Yeah. You know, relatively speaking. Does Absolutely. that make sense? It makes perfect sense. You know, that's, that's why we do this show for nuggets like that right there. I'm going to stop real quick and give you some comments over here just because you got some people. I don't want to not acknowledge these people here. You got Dennis Keck wants to say Scott was a great influence on my son who became a SEAL. Yes. So. Yeah. And let me tell you, so that that is a good way to segue into jujitsu because his son was a stud. His name is Lorenzo. Um, and so he came to me when he was – so I baptized him. When he was little bitty, man, he was this old. Okay. This old. And and Dennis and I, we we and he'll remember it, right? But he's an awesome guy. He he Yeah. He's one of my great friends. Um, but he and I duked it out a little bit over Lorenzo's baptism. 
back in the day. But anyway, Lorenzo went on to be a great linebacker at Wiley High. So in Wiley, there are three dudes that have made it into the SEAL teams. Uh, me, I was the old. I'm the oldest. You know what I mean. I'm the oldest. You're the Godfather. Yeah, man. I'm the I'm the padrino, right? And then uh, Sean Delaney, who's a stud, and he and I we had an opportunity to talk a little while. And you know, a lot of people go, man. Well, what about being you know uh, security measures and everything? And hey, and I'm here to tell you, hey, terrorist, if you want to go after Sean Delaney, go after him. He'll freaking rip your heart out. You know what I mean? Like. Come come see us. Yeah. Um, Sean Delaney, and he played linebacker at Wiley as well. And then Lorenzo played as well. And so Lorenzo came to me, I think, I don't remember if it was his senior year or after he finished playing ball. And he's like, hey, uh, Pastor Scott, I want to be a Navy SEAL. What do I need to do? I'm like, well, number one, you need to keep playing football as long as you can play, Right. And I've told other guys who've gone in the NFL, actually, I'm like, hey, who, who wanted to be SEALs, I'm like, hey, man, keep playing ball as long as you can. SEAL teams will be there after you play pro football, right? Yeah, make your money. Yeah, man, some listened, some didn't. Lorenzo didn't listen, man. He's fire-breathing dragon. He's ready to go. And so uh, I said, well, if you're not going to go to college and play ball, which he could have, he was a stud. I said, you got to start learning jiu-jitsu because all the best team guys – all the best guys in special operations, they're all jiu-jitsu guys. Yeah, Jocko, all those They're guys. all jiu-jitsu guys, man. <laughs> and right. we were 20 years ahead of our time. Because back in the day, the military didn't want to embrace jiu-jitsu. They didn't understand. And uh, I was I was at my team preaching jiu-jitsu. Jocko was on, on his team preaching jiu-jitsu. There were dudes on the East Coast preaching. And now, it's kind of funny, back in the day, I couldn't even, so I was in Hawaii. My jiu-jitsu professor at the time, grandmaster now, Helson Gracie. He yeah. was on the island. Like, he was five minutes from my SEAL team. And the SEAL teams at the time were so naive back then, as was all military special operations on hand-to-hand -hand combat. They wouldn't bring him over for a seminar, right? And I'm like, dude, y'all are... Like, we need to have him over here for seminar. They're like, oh, Scott, man, if, we get, if we've gone to hand-to-hand, -hand, um, we've already messed up. I'm like, bro, sir, commander, yeah. captain in the Navy. Uh, every military engagement since the history of time, to include Iraq and Afghanistan, have had special operators engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's just part of the deal, man. And But they were, you know, they didn't want to listen. Well, the funny thing is now, you know, or at least a couple of years ago, bro, I could, like, so back then I couldn't even bring Helson over for a seminar. Now I can make a couple phone calls and I can be teaching jiu-jitsu full-time at SEAL Team 6. Yeah. Like everybody now has gotten on board with what we were talking about, man, now like 30 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, so Lorenzo... Started training with me and, and my partner, uh, Charlie Busby, who's the actual lead pastor at our church. He's an awesome guy. Lorenzo started training with me, and he's an assassin, man. He, he started he, – he's a stud. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah, man, he went to Bud's, and, and now he's out there on the SEAL teams. That's um, badass. Yeah, so. Where did, you, where did your life 
take on jujitsu? When, when did jujitsu become such a part of your life? So, when I was in high school, so I grew up fighting, man. I fought, you know. I've heard most yeah. of those stories. Yeah, so I fought a lot. Uh, never started a fight. Never. I've never, to this day, never started a fight, despite what those guys say. <laughs> and, uh, and so, man, I remember seeing the Gracie Challenge when I was in high school. The Gracie brothers, I just had Helson Gracie at the academy the other day. He's my instructor. Like, sure, a second-degree black belt, right? Third. Third yeah, now? Third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congrats. Should be sixth or whatever, but anyway, I, diver- I digress. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so we were just talking about this. And, but back in the day, man, when I was in high school, uh, like, they had the Gracie Challenge where anybody could go to their academy and challenge them and fight. And they were humane in how they whipped people. You know, the gentle art. And uh, and I remember seeing the ad in the back of Black Belt Magazine. It was like, Gracie, like, I'll go fight those guys right now. I'll go fight them. Fortunately for them, they were in L.A. No, fortunately for me, right? And, uh, <laughs> and so, anyway, I, I didn't think about it anymore. I boxed competitively. I kickboxed competitively. And then when I went in the teams, I wanted to go to the East Coast. At the end of Budge, you fill out a dream sheet, and I put, I think, teams two, four, no, four, two, and eight, all on the East Coast. Now there are more teams, but back then that's all there was. Well, they sent my whole class to the West Coast, to Hawaii. Sent my whole class. There's 17 of us. Uh, Besides the officers, so they sent uh, 12 of us, I think, to Hawaii. Rough, where, rough spot to go. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. But for us, it was, man. None of us <laughs> wanted to go there, man. None of us wanted to go there. So, uh, anyway, that's where Helson Gracie was. That's where he lived. That's where he had academy. That's where he had his academy. And on a Friday, a great friend of mine, Justin Cowley, as tough a dude as, uh, I mean, from Yonkers, New York. Anyway, on a Friday. God, I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, on a Friday. Yonkers. I'm, you know, we get secured. He had already been training. He go, I said, hey, man, what are you doing tonight? He's like, uh, man, I'm going to do jiu-jitsu. I'm like, they got jiu-jitsu on the, on the island? This was, I think, before the UFC. And I'm, he's like, yeah, man, Helson Grace is here. And so, anyway, I showed up, and I've been training almost 30 years ever since. So That's awesome. And that was a God thing because – Helson's the guy I needed to train with. He's the dude that's got the most street fights. And he and I, as far as, uh, yeah, so. It, Relatability. Yeah, and He's everything. crazy, but uh, I love him and he's still <laughs> my guy, you know. That's awesome, man. So it sounds like you transform lives on the mat. Yes. Like, I mean, literally, whether it's a kid that wants to go to Bud's. What all do you learn on the mat? And what what life lessons do you think are so critical, aside from just not quitting and walking through the door? Where does this all tie in for you? Because I know it's something you're really passionate about. So, uh, and I talk to this with parents literally almost on the daily, dude. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, Jocko said this. I've been saying it for years. He and I have been saying, just so you know, Jocko's the first dude that I've that I've that I heard 
that like I've never met him, but like we've been saying the same things for the last thirty years, the exact same. It's crazy. And Grant, remember that was before there were podcasts. That was before there was email, cell phones. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we've been saying the same things. But here's the thing: jujitsu really is, and and I, you know, I hope people will stick with me on this because if you want to be, if there's one thing, if somebody asks me, what can I do to improve my life? Okay. So if my sons, if I could give my sons three things, number one, I would give them Jesus. That's the most important thing on earth. I would give them Jesus. Number two, I would give them the best family I could give them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, just growing up, man. Be just, like your mom was for you. Yeah, and even even more so, like a mom and a dad. Like, if I could give them the perfect family, that's what I would give them. Yeah. A mom there that loves them, a dad there that loves them, a dad that's masculine that can train them right. Like, you know, like not a freaking pansy. Yeah. But just the best family they could have. That'd be the number two thing. Number three? Jiu-jitsu. That's crazy. I know. That's crazy talk. Especially for somebody that sports and the military was all such a big part of my life. But here's the thing, man. And this is the guy, the jiu-jitsu people out there, this will resonate with. It's a superpower. And it's not just a superpower when it comes to handling physical conflict. It's a superpower when it when when we're talking about developing the neuroplasticity of your brain, right? Which is the learnability that you have. It's a superpower when it's when it you talk about um, developing merited supreme self confidence, right? And there's a difference between supreme self confidence and merited supreme. Merited means it's legit, right? Okay. So like there are dudes out there that are supremely confident to the point of arrogance because they are pilots for American Airlines. Okay. Big guys, they're a pilot. It's a pretty prestigious position. Right. right? They've been successful their whole life, so they're they're supremely self-confident. But it's not merited. You know when it becomes unmerited? When somebody decides to take their lunch money. That's when it becomes, that's when all of a sudden, it doesn't matter how well you can fly a plane. It doesn't matter how well you can solve chemistry problems. It doesn't matter how well you can play the piano. It doesn't matter how well you can perform brain surgery. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to the moon as an astronaut. When somebody decides to take your lunch money, all that matters is whether or not you can defend yourself. And nothing on earth allows you to do that like jujitsu. Nothing. And so, better than anything else on earth, including SEAL training, because I don't walk around with a freaking M4 strapped on my back. I don't walk right. around with claymores. I don't walk around with hand grenades. Yeah. But I walk around with jujitsu everywhere I go. Everything I do, I have jujitsu. And it makes me the friendliest guy in the room. It makes me the calmest guy in the room. It makes me the best, uh, the guy least likely to overreact to, to physical threats, the guy least likely to overreact to 
verbal threats. Yeah, because there's always the little guy that wants to, like, fuck with the baddest yeah. dude. Yeah, man. Like, oh, yeah. you're a Navy SEAL, huh? Yeah. I want to challenge you. Mm-hmm. Like, or, oh, you were this star athlete, and blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah. it's always that, there's always that guy in the room. Like, it, it happens all the time. Yeah. I have countless stories. Man, you see it out there, you yeah. know what I mean? And and I can, and and, and my companions, my peers who have jujitsu, they don't have to be black belts. They can be... They just have to have a certain amount of it, right? They can be like, oh, my friend, let me buy you a drink. Yeah. It's okay. We don't have to fight. Yeah. I don't have anything to prove. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's, let's be friends, you know? So, so that's the first thing. And, and here's the thing. That, all the other benefits, so most likely, most likely, I mean, my, my you know, my path's a little bit different from here on out because of, you know, because of some circumstances, motorcycle club. But most likely, I won't ever have to put my hands on anybody else again. Most likely. I don't work in that profession. Uh, you know, I pray that if terrorists show up, they, God brings them my way instead of somebody else's way that's not prepared for them. You yeah. know what I mean? But, but most likely, that won't even happen. So most likely, for most people that train in jiu-jitsu, they're never going to have to physically put their hands on somebody. But the ability to do that, the willingness to do that, predicates all the other benefits. Yeah. And all the other benefits are humility, because every night on the match, you get your butt whipped. Yeah. Even, Even if you're the best guy in the room, you still get humbled. Because I mean, I'm not coming to your gym. I don't want to get choked out no, by no, no, Monica. No, no. You should come. I'm because, just kidding. Yeah, yeah, you should come. Because here's the thing. Like, uh, we take care of new people anyway. Yeah. But, like, every night on the mats, we want people to be affirmed, right? Like, we want them to experience. Which, by the way, we don't let new guys even spar. Because yeah. they don't know anything yet. Yeah. So, it's a waste of time. Yeah. They, they just drill. They learn techniques. They drill. They learn jujitsu, but they don't. They don't. They don't know how to move their bodies yet. Their bodies aren't hard yet. They don't know. Not flexible. They're not flexible. They don't know when to tap. They don't know. You know whatever. But uh, you know, every night on the mats, once you get into it, once you've been into it for a while, you get a, you win some, which man builds your confidence. You lose some, which humbles you, which most men. Most people, because we got an incredible ladies program, you know, you know. Yeah, so I've watched Monica climb yeah, up yeah. there, and when she started, Bro. it's just like belt and belt and belt. Yeah, she's and I'm an like, assassin. God. She's an assassin, man. She's an assassin, and she's tiny. Yeah, but she's an assassin. And we got a bunch of other ladies that are awesome. You know what I mean? Like we got. So Coach Monica's a brown belt. I tease, I tease Brad about that when I see him because it's yeah, like yeah, Monica yeah. takes all these trips and stuff. I'm like, yeah, hey, you're not worried about her. She's nah, like, what, a man, purple no, belt now? No, like, she's a brown belt. Yeah, yeah she's, she's like, a brown belt. She's teared up. Yeah, and so like she she's a tiny assassin. She's one of our ladies coaches, by the way. If you're a lady out there wanting to do jujitsu, man, we got a lady that she's tiny and she she but she's one of the best coaches at the academy. Uh, we got a black belt. I've got a black one of my black belts, Coach Susie. She's a freaking smashing machine, man. Like, she's a she's she's uh, incredibly technical, um, super sweet. But she's a smashing machine. 
Um, I got black belts, other black belts, Coach Brand, Professor Brandon, Professor Charlie. Um, I got coaches that – anyway, we take care of all the new people. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have assassins. We got world champions. We got Pan-American champions. But we have – but we take care of the new people. But but what happens is every night on the match you get affirmed, which builds your confidence. You get humbled, which keeps you humble. Most men don't – you know, most men walking around don't get a dose of humility every day. And, and we would probably agree most men need a, a dose of humility. You know what I mean? There's a like, whole lot of people, yeah. not just men, that need yeah. a little bit of humble. You know, and everybody then, gets served some humble pie yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, and then you persevere, man. Sometimes you just get with somebody and struggle. You can't submit them; they can't submit you. So you learn not to quit. You learn perseverance. You know. So anyway, all that to say, that's why I'm so passionate about jujitsu is because, in the best way that that we can, it's a way to help people be successful in life because it transfers all those things transfer to every other area of your life absolutely they'll make they make you a better coach a better husband a better father a better whatever it is you know what i mean so helping you conquer fears i mean absolutely yeah absolutely absolutely so what else are you a big advocate of i mean i i kind of want to touch on this a little bit because i think one of the things I've always looked forward to that I've got to get signed up with, John and I have talked about doing it for years, is you also do, like, handgun courses and stuff and teach yeah, people man. how to be advanced levels with their, with their, with their pistols, yeah. guns, rifles, yeah. Yeah. everything. Like, so, so I think probably now more than ever, obviously, with the, the recent events that are, that are taking place. So the things I'm passionate about, let me say this. I'm passionate about helping people win, right? Like, if the Dallas Cowboys could hire me, we would win Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. That's no joke. With the same talent, without getting into Dak haters and why? And, why do uh, you why Why do you say that? Because you know, there's something that really resonates with me there. I've had some NFL guys on here before, right? Okay, cool. Ooh. Most of them, uh, Jonathan Scott okay. uh, had uh, Tony Tony Hills. Okay, yeah. Both yeah. of them UT guys. Yeah, yeah. Both of them uh, were on the Vince Young teams. Oh, really? Man, bro. Like amazing guys, right? Yes, and they yes. both ended up at Steelers. They have their rings with the Steelers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, you know, you talk to these guys, and the thing that's always amazed me, and, man, I'm a diehard Cowboy fan. I'm a season ticket holder. I love the Cowboys. Like, right that's my team, right? right. right and I really don't like the Steelers. I'm just going to be honest. I don't like the Me Steelers. Me either. I don't like the Steelers. But I respect the shit out of them. I do too. Because what these guys both said to me. I like some of the Steelers. And they were like, here's, here's the difference. They're the most winningest organization in the NFL. When I touch talking about Super Bowls, but they don't have losing records. I mean, and how many coaches have they had in the last, like, 40 years? I think it's three. I'm going to text some guys and tell them I don't even want to hear the. So, like, it's like three, three years or 30 years they've had, like, three coaches. How many coaches have the Cowboys had in the last 10 years? Right? So, what is the difference? You hear Mike Tomlin say this, and I absolutely love this. 
I'm a huge Mike Tomlin fan. The standard is the standard. And that sounds like a cop-out when he's given a press conference. Not if you understand what that means. But the team all understands exactly what he's saying. The standard is the standard. We have a standard, and if we didn't live up to our standard, we got to do things to fix that and to live up to our standard. And if you can't do it, it's next man up. That guy's going to do it. That guy might take your job. And I'm fine with putting that guy in there because if he knows what the standard is and he's going to execute our standard then fine, you might be a little more physically gifted than him, and I'd rather you have it. But if he understands the standard, mm-hmm. then we're gonna, that, that's what we're about. Yeah. The Cowboys have no standard. Their standard is selling that star on the helmet, okay. filling seats. Yeah. I mean, that's my personal opinion. Okay. So I, I'm curious as to how you feel about that, because you've said this twice now, of how <laughs> if you could just come in there, you would wreck yeah. shop with the same guys, same, same everything, dudes. and do it. So are you implementing a standard? What, what, would, what would fix that for you? So, so here's the thing, right? Without divulging too much, because I'm working a plan, man. Like, right, you might be you, the next you, Cowboys you, head coach. Uh, well, not head coach, not head coach, because here's the thing. Defensive coordinator, all right. Man, here's you. the deal, right? Like, uh, when I got out of the Navy, I chose not to go into coaching. Later on, I planned on going to coaching. But that's when God got a hold of me, and I became a children's pastor instead of a coach. My, I thought right. my ministry was going to be coaching. Coached all the boys. We won championships, and we dominated people. But anyway, uh, but here's the thing. <clears throat> Some teams, and this will resonate, and, and people out there will, you know, when were the Cowboys great? 90s. The 90s, okay? They were great in the 90s. Why? Well, if you just had to say, why do you think, man, if you're not a Cowboys fan, if you're not a football fan, stick with us because this is going to, this this transcends not just sports, but being successful, winning, winning I, is what I, we're talking about. I think it has to do with Jimmy Johnson and okay. Jerry Johnson's reason he's still not in the ring of honor and should be. I okay. think Jimmy Johnson, whether Jerry Jones liked it or not, he set the standard, okay. and he told these guys, this is what you're going to do. Okay. This is how you're going to go. I mean, yeah, we had great players. We have great players on our team sure, now, so that sure. isn't a deciding factor. Right. No, it's not. So the only things that are different is coaching. We still have the same ownership, so the leadership had to be better. Those okay. players had to have more no quit in them. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to execute my goals. And and be more of this team and and be those things. Yep. So okay. I think it has to do with the leadership and hey. them having a higher standard for themselves. Okay. All right. I, I'm I. So I have to give a shout out to the DB, the DB, the Dirty Bastards MC. I'm sitting here using their uh, bottle opener. All right. Because because uh, one of them uh, I don't remember. It's probably who Eric Hall. Yeah, so he's, he's a, an Paul. avid member here, right? So, so uh, he's an old friend of mine. Yeah, and I and they brought in a DB, right? So we're gonna have army to get guy. A, we're gonna have to get a Christian's MC bottle opener in here too. Also, all right. I love the DBs, by the way. The yeah. So, so uh, the standards. Okay, so here's the thing: you got to have standards everywhere. Now, I'll say this: I believe that the Cowboys have standards. I believe they have standards. I believe, you know, 
here's the deal. What do you do for a living, by the way? If you don't mind me asking. I sell multifamily construction. I sell multifamily construction. All right. There is way more. Here's what I know. There is way more to selling multifamily construction than our viewers understand. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. That they'll never understand. They'll never know what all is behind selling multifamily construction. Right. The same is true of coaching in the NFL. I promise you the Dallas Cowboys have standards. Those guys aren't idiots. Despite what the the grandma watching the Cowboy game believes or the dude who's never coached a day in his life, yep. much less at the NFL level, I promise you those cats know what they're talking about. Yeah. I promise you there are standards. Now – there are varying degrees. There's levels to everything, right? There's varying degrees. But I promise you the Cowboys, they have standards. They probably do a better job of coaching than we give them credit for. Okay? And, I, and I, man, and, I, and, and listen, I'm a Jerry Jones fan. I'm a, I'm a Jimmy Johnson fan. I'm a, a Cowboys fan. Uh, anybody, a, a McCarthy fan, I'm a fan. Uh, the dude's yeah. coaching the Dallas Cowboys, so I'm a Absolutely. fan, right? Is he the best coach in the NFL? I don't know. I don't know. Um, who's the best coach? Who, who knows? But here's what I know. They have standards. They do things at a professional level. What they don't have is the X factor. So when you hear X factor, what do you, what do you think of? The intangible. Yeah, the intangible thing that allows somebody to win. The X Factor, man. You know my you know what the name of my first jiu-jitsu academy was? What? X Factor MMA. And that's why because I understand what that is, man. Like I know what the X Factor is. And I ain't going to tell everybody cuz ain't nobody paying me. But I know what the X Factor is. I know what it takes to win. That's why we got world championships at world champions at the gym. We got Pan American champions at the gym. Uh, I've won at different levels. My kids have won at different levels. Coaches, teams I've coached have won at different levels. There's an X factor. The Cowboys had the X factors in the '90s and the '70s. Not so much in the '70s. They were close, but the Cowboys had the X factors in the had the X factor in the '90s. They didn't intentionally create it because they didn't know what it is if they just jimmy johnson a great coach and he was able to create the x factor without really even understanding what he was doing right okay the patriots had the x factor for a while right the steelers it's tom had, brady well i mean it can be a player it's usually not it's usually not yeah. one particular player because there's a parity of talent in the nfl right Every NFL team has the same talent. I'm telling you, man. Stick with us because this is not just an NFL discussion. But every team has the same talent. But not every team has the X Factor. They don't know how to get the X Factor. I know how to get it. I know how to give them the X Factor. If I could get in front of Jerry Jones, I could explain to him how to give his team the X Factor. How to teach his teams how to win, man, instead of choke. And 
what happens in the NFL and any and every other sport is that teams accidentally come upon the X factor within their team. And they're able to maintain it for a little while, but then like we were talking about earlier, they get bored or something changes or somebody argues about a they, – they cannot recreate it consistently. Because they didn't actually know what it was. They didn't know what it was to begin with. They, they just, just think, well, we got Michael Jordan. He's the X Factor. Well, she was the X Factor. She can't recreate Michael Jordan. We've got um, – but even then, there were, other, there, was, there were other teams. When Michael Jordan was playing, there were other teams that had Pistons. enough talent to beat him. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that is like the thing that I am probably one of the things that I'm passionate about is teaching people how to do that. And, and look, and I'm working that plan to get to the Cowboys. But if you're out there and you have an audience with Jerry Jones and you can get me in front of them and you love the Cowboys or you just maybe just, we might be able to make that happen. Hey, I'm telling you, bro, like. I'm willing to make that phone call because you know there's there's you got a couple some connections. Of, I got I got a few people here's I know that I played played for the man that might be able. Here's to. what I can tell you: Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. The only thing that would shut it down is them being human and getting bored with the process that keeps pres- producing Super Bowls. That's the only thing, man. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. Crazy as that sounds, doesn't matter who's playing. There are enough good quarterbacks out there. Yeah, doesn't matter who's playing outside linebacker. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, so that's one of the things I'm passionate about, man. I just like winning. I like winning better than I like uh, a lot of things, you know. And then the other thing that I'm passionate about is helping these. Uh, listen, jujitsu, uh, the the academy. Our academy, right? Um, I'm passionate about doing everything I can through jujitsu, through our just relationships. Yeah. Helping our guys, our students at the place conquer life, really. The kids, I man, we have so many kids. I wish uh, I wish I could make it mandatory, right, that, that kids had to come and train with us. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the things I'm passionate about. Those are a couple of the things, you know. Yeah, my first experience rolling the mats, thanks to my older brother, was not that fun. I didn't really enjoy that a whole lot. But uh, most places don't do it. Uh, the, 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 he he did me right, but like yeah. I just a I was extremely out of shape. By the time I got done doing the warm up, I thought I was going to die. Yeah, I'd yeah, gone yeah. and done a workout with my training partner at the yeah. time at the gym. I did right. I did buys and tries, and then at five a.m. and then went to the six thirty a.m. class yeah. with all the badasses that yeah, wanted to be yeah, in the MMA yeah, yeah. world. Yeah. So yeah, and, and it doesn't matter. Well. It doesn't and, matter how good a shape you're in. And Brazilians like to have it like a hundred degrees while they're rolling. Yeah, we on the don't mats. do that, man. We we so like it was yeah. hot. I didn't even know what I was supposed to wear under my gi. Like, do you wear stuff under your gi? Do you just right, wear your yeah, underwear? Yeah, yeah, do yeah, you yeah. wear yeah. shorts and a t-shirt? Right, right. I had underwear, shorts, a t-shirt, my gi on. I get done doing the warm-up. I was about to pass out. Right. I thought I was right, gonna die. Right. Right. I mean, like, that's cool. Yeah. It yeah. was. It was brutal. Yeah. But, like, yeah. might have to do this. Like, maybe on the side, like, I just won't tell my brother, even though he's listening, you know. like Where does he train? 
He he owns you know? SIA Academy. Oh, Plano. your brother owns us. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, they have a great school. Yeah, it's they a great do. Academy. They have a great yeah, anti-bully uh, yeah, program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All this yeah. stuff, man. It's a great play, great place. Yeah. I'm not, not, yeah, not, I'm not comparing. Yeah. We're not like, you know, doing any of that. But like, yeah. It, hey, listen, I recommend jujitsu across the board. Yeah, even and this is a hang with us if you're not a jujitsu person because I'm telling you, even a bad jujitsu school will still change your life. It will still change your life. Now, SIA is a great school. Uh, it's a great school. But even a bad one, even if they do everything wrong, yeah. can still, if you just suck it up and don't quit, it'll change your life, right? Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, man, like, we, we totally, uh, we do everything we can so when I started training, it was a fight. It was a it was a grinder, man. It was old school Helsinki Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Like if you weren't a fighter, you didn't stick. Like for every, I mean, pro, I wish I had the numbers. I bet every hundred guys that tried it, I'll bet you ninety quit because it was learn three techniques and fight. Probably why you related to it. I mean, it was a lot like yeah, still teams yeah, coming yeah, out of still yeah, teams. Yeah. Like I, I just you know for me and my buddies that trained, like we were fighters anyway. You yeah, know what I mean. But the problem with that is you miss out on influencing a lot of people. You miss out on giving the gift to a lot of people. So at our place, we try to work people in. It's, it's, they don't need to fight right off the bat. You know, we want them to learn some stuff. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, uh, there was a funny story, man. I was going to say, but anyway, let's go. Let's keep going, man. Let's. Keep All going. right. How how would you compare jujitsu to Krav Maga? That's a question that came in from one of the listeners. Man, you know, <laughs> there, I've watched Comic Con. That just seems there, insane to me. There are people out there that are laughing right now because they asked me that. Who asked the question? Who uh, was let's it? see. Aaron Barnes. Aaron Barnes. Okay, I know Aaron. So here's the deal people get emotionally attached to things, especially the martial arts. Okay. And I'll just say this. This is, this is without, because we could talk about that forever. It would bore people. But here's what I can tell you. I can send some of my guys who are not the best guys at my academy. I can send some of them into any Krav Maga. And, and Aaron, by the way, I asked this question of a buddy of mine who was at SEAL Team 6 at the time. When I was going to train a bunch of Green Berets, they were about to deploy. And I was going to go work on some of, some of the hand-to-hand stuff and some other stuff. And I, so I reached out to a buddy of mine who was very, very current. He was, he was the most respected guy at SEAL Team 6 at the time. And I asked him about Krav, right? And his comments echoed mine, right? But here's the thing. I can send dudes from my academy who are not, not some of the very best guys. Right. To any Krav school on earth and go, hey, who's your best Krav guy here? The best Krav school, the best Krav guy on earth who doesn't know jujitsu. If he's a Krav guy and he knows jujitsu, then it's a moot point because his jujitsu is what's going to save his life. Yeah. But if he only knows Krav, and by the way, Anybody's welcome to come to my place to test this out. If he only knows Krav, 
Some of my guys who are not the best will go and destroy the best, the best Croft guy on earth. The flip side is the best Croft guy on earth can't come to my place and whip hardly anybody unless he's got jujitsu. Now, the thing where it starts getting blurred is some of the Croft schools have started also training in jujitsu because they understand they have to know jujitsu. Uh, and Krav, and, now, and now hear me. I'm not saying that Krav is not valuable. Krav Maga is valuable if you launch the attack first. If you and I are here, and I say something bad to you that you don't like, and you attack me with Krav, and I allow you to attack me with some of the techniques, it can be effective. But if I don't allow you to attack me with it, bro, you ain't never using Krav on me. Like, it just ain't happening. Yeah. If we back up and go, let's get it on, you ain't. Unless you have better jujitsu than I, you ain't whipping me. And it, that doesn't matter if you're Tyson Fury, the best boxer on earth, or if you're the best kung fu guy on earth. It just is what it is, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, now, here's what else I'll say. If, you ain't, if you're not going to do anything, Krav's better than not doing anything. Train. And, and, and I'm not... I'm not a Krav Maga dissident. Just like I'm not a... I'm a boxer, man. I'm a, I would say the same thing about boxing. I'm a boxer. I'm right. a fighter. I'm a boxer. Like, the only reason I didn't become the heavyweight champion of the world is because I wasn't particularly fond of brain damage. And there ain't no way to become one without the other. You know what I mean? Right. So, if you... Anyway, does that answer your question, Aaron? Yeah, no, it answers it perfectly. I mean, I think it's uh, it's funny. You see, most of the guys that I know that went special forces, uh, any guy that went special forces had a jiu-jitsu or a wrestling background. Yeah, wrestling. Nine awesome. times out of ten. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. that's across all branches. I'm not, I yeah. mean, I, guys I went to high school were Army Rangers, yeah. Delta Force, you know, Marine yeah. Recon, SEALs, whatever, whichever lane you want to go down, right. a common denominator is these guys either swam, wrestled, or were in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to some degree. Yeah. I mean, they may have not been, like you yeah. said, the best guy in your school, but they right. had that little bit of background right. in yeah. that. Like, it, it yeah. seems to be something that all hey. of them gradually, so like you said, you guys couldn't sell this to the teams no, 30 man. years ago. Right. And now it's like, huh, you want to come in here? Like, you don't know any of this? Like, right. all right, well, guess what? Your next three months is going to be hell because we're going to break you in. through. And here's what else you're starting to see, man. And this is, uh, this is something I've been preaching forever. And, and I'm still preaching. I'm talking to, about it. <clears throat> and this is a whole nother conversation. But I'll just say this. To be the best in the future, to be the best NFL player, to be the best NBA player, to be the best NHL player, to be the best uh, Major League Baseball player, to be the best actor in Hollywood, you're going to have to know jiu-jitsu. That's crazy talk. Except for what are you starting to see all the guys in Hollywood do? Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah, name them. I've worked with actors. They're like, bro, like, can you come to? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll teach you jujitsu. You know what I mean? Like, 
But they're starting. They're, it's starting to get out. And why is that? Because nothing else. And this is a whole different shift. This is a whole different thing. But and you can look at. You can talk to neuroscience. Neuroscientists are going to start espousing this as well. They already kind of have. But jujitsu is one of those things that it works on problem solving under extreme duress, which directly affects the neuroplasticity of your brain which like we talked about earlier is the learnability so the better the 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 more neuroplastic your brain is which is developing and creating new and strengthening new neural pathways in your brain makes you better at everything whether you're an actor an athlete a scientist a coach a freaking you know gc whatever it is yeah and you're starting to see man tom hardy uh, Keanu Reeves, like all these guys, man. The guys that you eventually, you mark my words, The Rock is going to be doing jujitsu before long. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I believe it. I mean, well, let's dive down the movie path a little bit. I mean, you just had a movie come out that you're in and you helped yeah, yeah, yeah. work with a lot. Yeah, yeah. Tell everybody about that a little bit. So, uh, you know, that was one of the things I wanted to do. I've wanted to do my whole life. Because you're, you're a movie buff from what I understand. I am a movie buff, man. I am a movie buff. I was a, you know, I've got a, I've got a very vivid imagination, man. I used to play with little action figures. and, and, and uh, But I'm a movie guy. I love the movies. Um, and my plan back in high school, bro, was to play pro ball. Retire from pro ball and make movies. That was my plan. People laughed at it. Scott, you can't. You're in Wiley, Texas, man. You ain't never gonna be in a movie. Like literally told me that stuff. Which, by the way, talking about unrealistic goals, there were dudes out there that told me I'd never be in the SEAL teams because I was I wasn't a very good swimmer. Which they were right. I wasn't a very good swimmer, but I didn't give a crap. You know what I mean? I knew I could do. Good it. swimmer now. Well, still probably. And here's the thing: talking about those unrealistic goals. I'm st- like at the best I was at as a swimmer, I was still probably worse than most kids on a high school swimming team. You know what I mean? Like I literally was, st- but anyway. But the movies, so uh, yeah, man. Like I knew it was going to happen, and God made some connections, and uh, my, you know. I was very, very, for. I'll put it like this. I was very fortunate to connect with a guy named William Kaufman, Mr. Kaufman. He is probably, I'll say, the best uh, independent action slash drama filmmaker out there. He's incredible. All right. And his crew that he, that he rolls with, uh, Isaac and Andrew... Uh, uh, and some other guys, um, they're phenomenal, man. Like, they're phenomenal. And so I connected with him, and that was, again, a God thing, but it was also kind of a, a, a predestined, it was going to happen. Uh, so I connected with him, and he's a great friend of mine now. And, man, he, he's one of those guys. He was also a, mil- a vet. He was in the Army. And so he understands. So he's had some great movies, man. Um, and so he, underst- he values authenticity in- on the set, right? And so that's where the connection man- made. And so he and I, we worked together on a movie called War Horse One. 
which was actually about a SEAL rescue mission over in Afghanistan that went wrong. And uh, this was during COVID, so it was like a guerrilla movie. But it's out there, and, and you know, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Um, but then we, we, you know, he got me on the set of his the, uh, another one called The Channel, which is I'm super proud of. And, you know, he allowed, he gave me, I, I kid him all the time, right? Like, because I should have had director credits because, man, I, I was <laughs> able to direct a lot. Of, but it's because of him. I mean, he yeah. just allowed me a lot of freedom and flexibility to, to move these guys in the right places and worked with incredible actors, uh, Max Martini, Clay Crawford, um, Jaron Douglas, uh, 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 Ed Spila, a bunch of other guys, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Todd, um, and his last name's just a golly, Todd. I'm sorry, Todd. Uh, I've had, you know, some whiskey and whatever. Yeah, um, it's my fault, Todd. But uh, uh, Danny, you know, some of these dudes are just freaking phenomenal. Um, uh, Lens, Lens Edwards was one of the main guys. And, and a lot of these dudes are big-time actors, right? Yeah. And so I was able to go out there and work with those guys on their gun handling and stuff. And they were studs to begin with, man. Like, uh, Klain was on that old series, The Unit. I'm not not Klain, uh, Max. Max Martini was on that old series, The Unit, about uh-huh. Delta. He played Mac. He was the young redhead guy, and that he's a stud. And Klain was in the lethal weapon series and, and these dudes and lens has been in a bunch of stuff and, uh, 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 Lobo was in it as well. And, uh, anyway, so I got to go out and work with them on the range and the CQB and stuff. And then I got some, you know, some, some screen time as well. Should have been more, will be more in the future. The plan is, but, um, that's cool, man. It was just, but back to, to Mr. Kaufman, you know, there are so many things, and we could probably do a whole episode on just movies, man, but, you know, there are so many things. The, the goal was to make it authentic and believable, right? But it's not a documentary. Yeah. You know, it's a movie. Yeah. You know? And I'm a, like, I, I grew up in that, you know. We, Got a little, little Rambo yeah, in there. Yeah, you know, so. so, so, but those dudes were awesome. Uh, the movie's great. It's rated R with a hard R, you know. I mean, it's, it's not a kid movie. But uh, you know, it was the second in, of many, hopefully, to come. And awesome, and the man. goal, you know, man, I'm just going to straight up. Uh, the goal is to get in front more, in front of the camera more. Hopefully, to be the lead eventually. And uh, I think you have a good future there, man. Well, hey, you're, man, you're doing I, real I, good I'm, today. It's 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 a blessing. And, and you know, here's the thing, man. There are there's some great movies out there. And Will and uh, Mr. Kaufman and I, we talk about this a lot. There's some great, th- which, by the way, his son works at my academy. His son's one of my purple belts. He's a killer dude. He's 20 nice. years old. Uh, just turned 20. He's an assassin. He's done some stunt work in some of them, Max. But um, but here's the thing. There's still some things that have yet to be done as well as they can be done in some of these action movies, man. When you combine uh, uh, the drama, the action, and the humor, and the character development, yeah, and uh, but even the channel, this last movie was the channel. Yeah, uh, it's about a bank robbery that goes south in the the channel uh, district in New Orleans, which is like an Irish neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. 
And, uh, man, the gunfight scenes were awesome. And there's a story behind it. Like, it's a legit, real... It's not just an action movie. Yeah. Like, there's a great drama behind it. And uh, uh, those guys were awesome. I'm still in contact with a bunch of them. But, uh, but yeah, man. And, actually, one of the dudes... Uh, I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't know how much he wants out there, but he's actually in the Booze Fighters MC. So, like, he and I, like, we were going to the range doing a lot of this training, and then it came out we were both in MCs, you know, motorcycle clubs, and so there was an immediate connection there as well. So Awesome. I'm going to dive into that quickly here in a minute, but there's something else I want to ask you that I think ties a lot of what you said together. What, what does a day in Scott Phillips' life look like? I mean, and when I say this, are you a guy that, like, journals and writes? Are you a guy that puts the post-it notes on your mirror and sets these goals and you have these little goals that you, you know, you pull the post-it note when you accomplish that goal off your mirror? What, what does that look for? How do you look at life on a day-to-day basis? A perfect day for me, man. And I don't hit this every day. Yeah. I don't hit it. I don't hit the mark every day. But a perfect day for me would be to get up and get in God's word. Like, if somebody asked me what's the most important thing to you, I would tell you my relationship with Jesus. So if that's the most important thing to me, that's the first thing I got to take care of in the day. Like, I can't tell you Jesus is the most important thing to me if I relegate him to right before I go to bed. Yeah. Like, that's crap. People that say that, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself, man. If Jesus is the most important thing in your life, if God's the most important thing, that's the thing you take care of first. If you say, I can't get up early enough, well, suck it up, buttercup, and get up early. Get up 30 minutes earlier. Have some spiritual discipline. So a perfect day for me is to get up. And I, like I said, I don't hit that every day, but I, I want to get up and I want to spend some time in God's Word. Typically, whatever day of the week it is, I spend in that chapter of Proverbs. Right? There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Today's the, the 12th. 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 So, so, you know, I look at Proverbs 12. I read Proverbs 12 short. Proverbs is a wisdom book. And whether you believe in God or not, if you do what's in that book, your life will be better. So I look at Proverbs 12, and then I'll flip to the New Testament or whatever. I'll study, I'll study God's Word for a little bit. Then I'll spend some time praying. And then after that, because I want to hear from God before I want to hear from man. So I'll do that. And then I don't have, I have post-it notes, but it's not goals. It's nonsense that order more geese, do this, do that. You know what I mean? Task or Task, yeah. So, uh, and I'm not really very good at that. But, uh, so I'll do that. And then man, if I, if I have, Depending on the day, I'll study some jujitsu. When I played ball, I studied football. Right. I study the greats in jujitsu, man. I study Hodger Gracie, Gordon Ryan, some of these other, some of the greats, right? I study their game. I study their competition film. I study jujitsu because then I got to go teach it. Uh, Helson, I study Helson's jujitsu. I review his jujitsu. I go teach classes, come back. Take care of business in the afternoon, you know, whatever. I teach in the evenings, right? So it's martial arts school. Uh, before I start getting into jujitsu, I get into like the self-development, the personal development stuff, right? Like I have, I have uh, 
literally almost scripts that I'll read to myself that I'll, I'll, I'll use auto suggestion, man, to talk myself into being great. Um, if you've never read the book, Think and Grow Rich, read it. Thank me later. Um, it's an excellent book. Yeah, it's an excellent book, but you got to put it into action. Yeah. You can't just read it and talk about it. You got to put it into action. So I'll do that. And then, man, you know, I'll fart around in the afternoon, try to chill a little bit, and then go to the academy and start teaching jujitsu. And, uh, and then, you know, I'll come in and, and I'm a movie guy and, and I'll come in and I'll stay up way too late watching <laughs> nonsense, you know, uh, whether it's movies or series or whatever, and I'll fall asleep on the couch, man, and, and I'll get up and, and watch and repeat, you know. And then anytime I have the chance, I'm on my motorcycle, riding my motorcycle, hanging out with my club, you know. And understand, all my sons are now grown and, they're, they're in college or they're working. Right. So if they were still at the house, I would spend a lot of time with them. Um, but, man, I'm on the bike riding and, and, and you know, doing the motorcycle club thing. All right. Let's, let's touch on that while we wrap this up because okay. I know you wanted to touch on this. They call you Christian Chingong. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us what the club means to you and what that's added to your life and why you're passionate about being involved in the club because obviously you're dedicating you just said i do these things this is my daily routine but then my free time it, it goes to the club so that's obviously something you're very passionate about and there's a purpose that that serves in your life yeah yeah so the club is called christians mc the christians motorcycle club that's a God thing. He reserved that name for us, and that's a whole different story. But the bottom line is we're not a ministry, right? We're not out there uh, ministering, intentionally ministering to people. We're a motorcycle club. We ride our motorcycles. We have fun. Uh, I would like to say everybody in the club is a Christian, but, man, everybody in church are not Christians. The majority of the dudes in in the club, I think, are 100, 100% Christians. That's where the name came from. When we first started it, the dudes in the club, we're an outlaw club, which means we do what we want to do. We ride where we want to go. We, we don't conform to society's laws, to society's norms. We pretty much obey the law. We, I mean, you know, pretty much. Uh, but we're not criminals. We're not out breaking. We're not out selling dope. Uh, doing a lot of, you know, like we're not out breaking the law. We're not criminals. The outlaw motorcycle world is really more about not doing things according to society's rules. You know what I mean? The way we dress, the way we act, um, you know, uh, and it's really more, which you can res research it yourself, but y'all, yourselves, more to the point was uh, back in the, the outlaw motorcycle club, Terminology came from back when the American Motorcycle Association said, if you're going to be in a club, you got to do things these ways. And a group of clubs said, we ain't doing things that way. You know what I mean? And it was revolving all around racing motorcycles. And so that's where the term outlaw clubs come from. Right? Okay. Nowadays, it's more about how we ride, 
how aggressive we are when we ride, the code we live by, which is really more based on the old school chivalry, really. I mean, I mean, it, without a whole episode dedicated to that, it's really about chivalry. Uh, and so, anyway, our club, man, it, we disciple each other. We try to make each other better men. Um, we ride hard. We ride fast. Uh, you know, we're rough dudes. We're not like your typical Sunday school guys. If you get on the internet and you look, if you get on TikTok and Google's Christians Motorcycle Club, you'll see our guys doing some of the most nonsensical stuff, like hazing each other and just 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 crazy stuff. Um, but we ride knuckle to knuckle, side by side, ninety miles an hour down the highway, man, and uh, and it's aggressive and it's dangerous. And there's a sense of danger in it, you know what I mean? And like, and we love each other. We, somebody could call me in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning. I'm not asking questions. I'm showing up to help them. You know, it's a brotherhood. Ours is really a brotherhood. It really is. And so I'm pretty passionate about it. We've grown a lot, um, and uh, it's made up of good dudes, man. You know, rough guys that are struggle. We got dudes that are former. Felons. We got guys that are former alcoholics, drug addicts, choir boys. You know what I mean? That that they're looking for this. They were looking for an outlet to be who they really felt like God wanted them to be. You know what I mean? And my opinion is, if you look at the men in the Bible, they look a lot more like us than they do the dudes. Most people at church. If you look at Jesus and the guys, if you look at the disciples, those dudes were rough dudes, man. They weren't the guys that have never been in a fight in their life. They weren't the guys that have never cussed. They weren't the guys that have never, uh, you know, looked at another dude and slapped him. That's not who Peter and Paul and freaking John and Jacob, or not Jacob, but all those James and all yeah. those guys were. Those were rough dudes. Modern Christianity doesn't really want to accept that, but that's who they were, man. And the club, our club, is way more like that than probably most dudes serving in churches places. We try to make each other better, you know what I mean? And, and, and I could show you threads where our guys are praying for each other. We've got some Bible studies. Uh, you know, we're doing all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, man, we're freaking rough guys. You know what I mean? So that's the club. That's the club. All right. Fair enough. Some people love us. Some people hate us. <laughs> What's something you think that's common sense that everyone gets wrong? Uh... <laughs> God made men and women. He made two sexes. It's pretty common sense, bro. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Anything else is mental illness. That's common sense. Yeah. And people that are afraid to say that are foolish. They're not insensitive. You know, people that are, people that, people that go, bro, if you're a dude, that thinks you need to be a chick, you got mental illness. We need to address that. 
I don't have to live a lie because you're living a lie. <laughs> Bro. Yeah. God made man <laughs> and female, male and female. That's common sense. Absolutely. And and the farther we get away from that, and I, you know, that's not a hill that a lot of people want to die on. But bro, that's common sense. I don't know anything else on earth that's that's more common sense than if you can't procreate with <laughs> with the sex you want to be with, then you're wrong. So, all right. Well, you've answered already earlier one of the questions I was going to ask you that we normally end the show with, and I don't feel like you could give a better answer. So I'm going to ask you something totally different. I've not asked this before. Legacy. What do you want to be remembered for when your time comes? Man, a man of character is probably the best, you know, I mean, that's probably the wisest answer I can give you. A, a, a man of character, you know. People aren't going to remember what I what I left behind, other than my reputation, you know. And uh, you know, the guy, the guy that that I think the more and more times people spend around me, I think they they know who I am, man. And yeah. You know, I want to be a high-character guy. Uh, I think you're definitely that because that's all I've ever heard about well, you, you for 20-plus-something years. Thank so, man, I think you. you're you're thank steadily you. headed down that path. If hey, that's man. your goal, then, man, thank I think you, you are nailing hey, that perfect, one out of the park. I'm not perfect, man. I'm not perfect. You know, I made a bunch of mistakes. I'll probably make a bunch of mistakes, you know, but um, I like my road name, Chingon, and I want to be, rem- I want to be remembered as a man of, of high character. Absolutely. So appreciate that, man. That's good. That's good shit right there. All right. We're going to wrap this up. This is a question we ask everybody. So, show's called Common Sense. I already asked you a common sense question or several, but maybe I haven't asked you something. Maybe there's something else you wanted to talk about tonight. I have no idea. But give the Common Sense listeners. Your two cents on common sense. Man, I'll, I'll tell you. anything. Yeah, I'll tell you this, right? I tell people all the time, if somebody talks to me, there's probably five or six or seven things we're going to talk about. Motorcycles, guns, shooting, fighting, uh, sports, my kids, and Jesus. And I'll just tell you this. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with me. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, there really is one true God in heaven, and his son really was Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with him, one day the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that's a fact. And I I could go on and on and on about how I know that to be true, but the bottom line is that's true. And so from the what's going on in the Middle East to what's going on in your life today, man, the sooner you... Get on board with Jesus, and man, and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And if you have any questions about that, you can talk to me. But at the end of the day, all the stuff we've talked about, man, I love talking about all of it. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing, and that's the bottom line. 
Awesome, man. Well, I want to thank you, man. This has been a pleasure to My sit down pleasure. with you yeah, man. and finally get to know you one-on-one, man. Like, I've enjoyed the shit out of this show, man. Me like, too. It's had been a, a lot of fun. Glad we finally got to meet. I don't right just on. have to hear about the myth, the legend that is Scott <laughs> Phillips of Wiley. Now you know it's not all real, right? Uh, I, mean, I mean, you've lived up to pretty much most of the stories thank I've you, heard. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, yeah, by man. all means, man. And I really enjoy right. this. I hope the listeners got some good good nuggets out of this i hope you guys enjoy this episode we're gonna be off air next week because i'm out of town one of those few weeks out of the year but we'll be back the following week for another great episode for you guys i really appreciate you guys tuning in if you have comments and suggestions please send them our way don't be scared to dm me and tell me what you think about the show if there's something you feel we could be doing better Something else you'd like, a guest you'd like to see. I mean, he is the number one most requested guest we've had since I said I was going to do a podcast. So, as you see, I'll try my best to get you what you guys want. So, you know, throw that out there. Give us some feedback. We're going to be changing some things up. You guys saw we're back on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook apparently was not the greatest today, but Rumble, the quality was terrible. We're still going to post on Rumble. That'll be there. You guys will still see it on all the channels you normally get to see it on. But we are going to change some things up over the next 30, 45 days. So if you guys have suggestions, comments, or if you like the show, please give us a like, a share. Share it with somebody else that you guys think would gain from listening to these conversations. Because that's why we do it. I started having these conversations with very unique awesome individuals and i thought that that was a waste to not have that shared with all of you so that's why i do what i do on this show so until next time y'all have a great time be safe out there adios